God never tempts us to sin, but God sovereignly permits temptation, uses it for his own purposes, and directs it to his own ends. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever wondered what led to the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas? Where did that temptation come from? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part 13 of his series titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, in the famous Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. In regard to temptation, the Bible gives us several answers. God never tempts believers to sin, but he does sovereignly permit temptation to accomplish his own ends and purposes in the life of the believer. He also provides a way of escape for each temptation, according to the scripture. Keep that in mind as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. I invite you to turn to Matthew 6 again and let me read for you once again this magnificent model prayer. I hope its words are burned into your soul and its meaning has has enriched your understanding greatly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're studying the second half of this prayer in which we learn how to pray for our own needs. I noted for you that the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, deals with praying for, asking God for, all of the physical needs that we have in this life. We understand this, and frankly, we often pray in this regard. But the last two petitions, the fifth and sixth petitions, deal with our spiritual needs, And all too often, we neglect these petitions, especially the final one. Notice verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says you need to pray not only in the fifth petition to be forgiven for sin in the past, but you also need to pray in the final petition to be preserved from sin in the future. Simply put, this final petition is a prayer for personal holiness. It is a prayer for personal holiness. Now, as we've noted, this is really one request with two parts, or we could say two sides. There is the negative side, we are to pray for spiritual protection from sin, and there is the positive side, we are to pray for the increase of personal holiness. Now, we last time began to look at the negative side, the first half of verse 13, in which we learned that we are to pray for protection from sin. Notice verse 13 again, the first few words. 
Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. This is a prayer for protection for our souls from sin. Now, we looked at the meaning of temptation, that word that Jesus uses here, and we discovered that the Greek word for temptation and its family of related words has two primary senses. It's used in these two ways throughout the Scripture. First of all, it is used as an external test or trial to determine or to strengthen the quality of a person. In other words, this is something that comes from God and comes with good purposes in mind. A great example of this sense of this word comes in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where the Septuagint uses this same family of Greek words, and we read this, in the wilderness God fed you manna that he might test you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. This is what a test or a trial is always about. It's from God intended to do us good, intended to bring about strengthening of our souls or to reveal to us and to others who we really are. There's a second sense, however, in which this word, the Greek word translated temptation in our text is used throughout Scripture, and it's, it's for an internal solicitation to sin. You can see this sense in James chapter 1, verse 14, where James writes, each one is tempted, same family of words, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, and lust when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, produces death. Obviously, in that context, there's no positive. It doesn't come from God. It's not for good purpose. Instead, in this context, this sense of the word is used as something for evil meant to cause us to sin. Now, because of the context, here in Matthew chapter 6, the translators understood that Jesus was using the second sense of this Greek word, not an external test or trial, but rather an internal solicitation to evil. And so they correctly chose the English word that best corresponds to that sense, temptation. The question, though, is where does this temptation, this internal solicitation to sin, come from? We each experience it, but where does it come from? There are three primary sources we saw last week from which temptation comes. First of all, there is the flesh. That is simply our unredeemed humanness. Our unredeemed humanness. Now, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 8, unbelievers are in the flesh. That is, they are all flesh. They are completely unredeemed humanness. But Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the very next verse, says that believers are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We are no longer dominated by, controlled by the flesh, but the flesh is still in us. There is a part of us, only a part now as believers, that is unredeemed. And it is from that part of us that is unredeemed that the Bible calls our flesh that evil cravings, according to James 1.14, evil cravings spring up from within that part of us that's unredeemed and become a source of temptation to us. You've experienced that. You understand that. 
There's a second source of temptation we discovered, and that is the world. This is the evil system that Satan has created. The evil system that he's created that, according to 1 John 2, is primarily driven by three ideas. In whatever age you live, these are the three ideas that control the world system. There is the lust of the flesh. That is a craving to satisfy the physical appetites of the body. Satan has created a system that plays to that. Secondly, there is the lust of the eyes. There is the craving for what your eyes see. This is materialism, the desire to own and possess and to have. And finally, the boastful pride of life. That has to do with one's reputation, with being somebody and being thought to be somebody and living so that people think you're somebody. These three great ideas constitute the world system that Satan has created. Turn on your television, read your newspaper, and you will discover these three concepts drive everything in our world. This is the system Satan has created. And out of that system, we are regularly bombarded with temptations to do those things. There's a third source of temptation, and that is the devil. All of the temptations that we experience can ultimately be traced back to Satan. Why do I say that? Well, the flesh. What's the source of the flesh? Our unredeemed humanness. Ultimately, it is stamped with Satan's own character. Jesus says in John 8, 44, you who are unbelievers do the desires of your father, meaning Satan. Some of the temptations that we, we have come from the world system, but it's the world system that who created Satan created. And so in a sense, all of our temptations come from Satan. But this third category, what I mean by this, is some of the temptations that we experience come directly to us from personally tailored circumstances that Satan and his demons create. Listen, Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows what will make you fall. And he creates through his his empire of evil spirits circumstances intended to tempt you. Now, those are the three sources of temptation. What I want you to understand is that when you look at your own temptations, sometimes those temptations come from only one of those sources. But I think that's uncommon. I think most of the time, the temptations you and I encounter come from a combination of those sources at the same time. Sometimes all three of them. Let me give you an example, a biblical example. What about Judas? Judas was tempted to betray Christ. Where did that temptation come from? What were the sources of Judas's temptation to betray Christ? Well, John 13, 2 says the devil placed it in his heart. It came directly as a temptation from the devil. But he was also tempted by the world system. There were the Pharisees who were willing to offer him money. There was the desire to possess and to have And the Pharisees played to that, played off of that. That was part of the world system. But in addition to that, there was already resonant within Judas in his flesh what the Scripture says was a heart of greed and covetousness. He kept the money bag because he was a man who was given to greed. So the temptation to betray Christ came to Judas from all three of those sources at the same time. And I think often that's true of us as well. Let me give you an assignment. I want you to think about, meditate on 
what are the three to five temptations that give you the greatest trouble in your life? What are the three to five recurring temptations that seem to to dog you your entire life? And then I want you to think about and ask yourself, what is most frequently the source or sources of each of those temptations? Because I think understanding this and knowing this helps us be pre-armed and therefore able to deal with them successfully. So on the negative side of this petition, we've seen the meaning of temptation, the sources of temptation. Let's look thirdly at the prayer for protection. The prayer for protection. And this brings us to the really the heart of this verse. Go back again to Matthew chapter 6 and the first part of verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation. That is a prayer for spiritual protection. Now you understand there's great theology behind this prayer. There is behind this prayer an understanding of God's universal sovereignty and providence because you don't ask God to protect you if you don't believe he has control over all things. There's also an understanding behind this prayer of our own pathetic weakness. God, I am not able in and of myself to deal with these spiritual attacks. And in addition, there is an understanding behind this request of God's boundless mercy. We understand That as A.W. Pink says, God would be perfectly just if he allowed us to be completely swallowed up by sin and destroyed by Satan. You understand that? God would be just if he just gave you over to your sin. But God doesn't do that because he's a God of compassion and mercy. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, the psalmist says. And so we know that, and that moves us to cry out to God, lead us not into temptation. Now look at that word lead. It literally means to bring or to carry. It's used in the New Testament of causing someone to enter into a certain condition. So literally, Jesus says, we are to ask the Father, Father, don't cause us to enter into a circumstance that becomes a solicitation to evil. Now, If you're a thinking person, and I hope you're thinking with me, that raises a key question. Why do we even need to pray this? I mean, God doesn't tempt anyone to sin, does he? James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God is untemptable, neither tempts he any man. Listen, understand, God has never and will never act with the purpose of tempting you or anyone else to sin. That's the role of our own lusts and of the world system and Satan. But here's where you need to put on your thinking cap. Because God is sovereign. And that means that everything that enters our lives has only to come under his permission. Now, I want us to step back from our text just a moment and wrestle with this. So stick with me. This is foundational. Once we've gotten this, we'll know what Jesus is saying to pray. So let's consider what is God's relationship then to temptation? If he doesn't tempt us, what is his relationship to temptation? Well, the Bible gives us several answers. First of all, God never tempts us to sin, but God sovereignly permits temptation, uses it for his own purposes, and directs it to his own ends. You know, sometimes our flesh 
can turn the circumstances that God brings into our life for good into a source of temptation. But there are other times when God allows Satan to bring temptation into our lives. There are several biblical examples. Let me remind you of 1 Chronicles 21.1. It says, Satan stood up against Israel, and Satan moved David to number Israel, to take that census, which was just a reflection of David's pride. He was depending on the, the size of the army rather than on God. But it says, Satan moved David to take that census. Now listen to the parallel passage in 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now how do you reconcile the fact that in one passage it says, Satan moved David to number, and in the other passage it says, God incited David to number the people. Here's how you reconcile it with this very principle. God sovereignly allows Satan to bring temptation for his own purposes and to accomplish his own ends. Let me show you another example. Go to Job chapter 1. You know the story, of course. Satan comes in before the presence of God. God points out Job and says, have you considered Job? And Satan says, well, of course he serves you. I mean, look at what you've done. Look at how you blessed him. Look at how you preserved and protected him. But notice verse 11. Satan says to God, now remember, this is Satan talking to God about Job. Verse 11, but put forth your, capital Y, your hand, God, put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, lowercase y, only do not put forth your hand on him, that is on his body, on his person. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord, and this is exactly what he did. He wreaks havoc in Job's life. What was Satan's purpose? To get Job to become angry and bitter through his difficult circumstances and to curse God. Satan's role in this was temptation. But how was Satan allowed to do it? Under the permission of God, because God had good purposes, other purposes, and, of course, we benefit from that because we have the book of Job and we read it and, and we see how the, how the suffering of man and the sovereignty of God intersects. But it was God permitting Satan to bring temptation for his own purposes and to direct it to his own ends. Consider our Lord in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted by the devil. God, the Spirit, directed Jesus into a circumstance where God then permitted Satan to bring temptation. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, you remember because of the, the even vision of heaven that he'd seen, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's a lot of debate about what that thorn in the flesh was. I'm not going to resolve that today, except to say that whether it's, it's some physical problem or whether it was a person in the Corinthian church, one of the false apostles, doesn't really matter. Notice it's a thorn in the flesh, And then he says this, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And then he ends the verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, with these words, 
to keep me from exalting myself. Do you see how Paul is looking at the same circumstance from two different perspectives? He says, on the one hand, this thorn in the flesh is a messenger from Satan to torment me. On the other hand, at the same time, it's a messenger from God to keep me from pride and exalting myself, to keep me humble. Listen, God doesn't tempt anyone to sin, but he does allow temptation in your life for his own purposes. And we shouldn't be surprised about this. I mean, Scripture tells us that God uses Satan in a variety of ways. He uses him to judge sinners. He uses him to refine the saints, as we see in Job's life, to discipline the rebellious in the church. In in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I've delivered that incestuous man over to Satan. God uses Satan to further purify obedient believers, as he did with Paul, sent him a thorn in the flesh. So we need to understand that God sovereignly allows temptation in our lives for his own purposes and to his own ends. Secondly, here's another way his his being relates to temptation. God sometimes overrules our desires to give in to temptation, and he keeps us from sinning. There are times when we want to sin, and God intervenes to prevent us from sinning. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 26. Abigail says to David, the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Abigail says, listen, David, you were angry because of Nabal, the fool, and you were tempted to take his life, which would have been sin for you, but God restrained you from carrying out that temptation. God does the same thing with us at times. There's a third relationship God has to temptation, and that is he strengthens us to endure temptation without sinning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a familiar verse, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. That doesn't mean the person sitting next to you has exactly the same temptations you have, but it means when you look at humanity, there are no unique temptations. There are people all around this planet who struggle with the exact same temptations you do. You are not alone. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now, what is the way to escape? It's not a unique way with every temptation. There's only one way he's talking about here, and that is he will strengthen you so that the way of escape is through the temptation without giving in. You will endure it without sinning. God can equip you and enable you to do that. There's a fourth relationship God has to temptation, and that is God ultimately uses all temptation for our good, even when we have given in to temptation and sinned. Romans 8, 28, God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You say, wait a minute, how can God use the temptation in my life? And even when I give into that temptation and sin, how can God use that for good? I love the Puritans. They talk about this a lot. And they say, one way is to show you your sin. We need to understand how sinful we are. And when God withholds his restraining influences, he allows temptation, he allows us to give in. We see ourselves. That's what happened with some of these biblical examples. 
God allowed temptation into David's life to show him his pride. God allowed temptation into Job's life to show him his self-righteousness so that at the end of the book he says, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I thought I knew God. I thought I had an argument against God. But he's God and I'm not. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 13 of his series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Tom will have part 14 for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.